Good morning. The Committee on Education and Workforce will come to order. Last Tuesday, Harvard President Claudine Gay traveled to D.C. to testify before Congress on anti-Semitism. Gay went into the hearing hoping to tell the nation how she was fighting anti-Semitism at Harvard. She came out nearly six hours later, just fighting to keep her job. For nearly a week, Gay faced dozens of calls for her resignation as Harvard's highest governing bodies remained silent on the future of Gay's presidency. Now, in news scooped by the Crimson, Harvard's governing boards will allow Claudine Gay to stay on as university president. It's an extraordinary moment, but to really understand it, we have to understand the week of fallout that preceded it. Two of our reporters were at the Capitol reporting on the testimony that fueled the calls for Gay's resignation. Now, our reporters tell us what it's like to be in the room, how trust eroded within the university, and where we're going next. With breaking news from the Harvard Crimson, I'm Frank Joe. This is News Talk. In this episode, a president survives calls to resign. Chairwoman Fox, Ranking Member Scott. We start today at the hearing that first threw Gay's presidency into peril. My name is Claudine Gay, and I'm the president of Harvard University. It's an honor to be here today. In the hearing room, one of our reporters, Miles J. Herzenhorn, is seated right behind Gay, just a few feet away. You can see him sit down as Gay begins her opening statement. During these difficult days, I have felt the bonds of our community strain. In response, I have sought to confront hate while preserving free expression. This is difficult work, and I know that I have not always gotten it right. Soon after this testimony, Congress would open an investigation into anti-Semitism at Harvard. More than 70 lawmakers would call on Gay to resign. More than 600 faculty members would call on Gay to stay. And Elizabeth McGill, sitting immediately to Gay's left in this hearing, would resign as president of the University of Pennsylvania. All of this was in no small part, Miles says, because of one representative at the hearing. Ms. Stefanik, you're recognized for five minutes. Dr. Gay, a Harvard student calling for the mass murder of African Americans is not protected free speech at Harvard, correct? Elise M. Stefanik, the fourth most powerful Republican in the House. She's a Harvard alum, wrote for the Crimson while she was a student here, graduated from the college in 2006. In 2021, the morning after January 6th, she voted against certifying the results of the 2020 presidential election. Days later, the Harvard Kennedy School's Institute of Politics removed her from its senior advisory committee because she continued to make claims of voter fraud. She and Gay do not see eye to eye. So when Gay tries to speak... Our commitment to It's free a yes speech. or no question. Is that corrected? Is that okay for students to call for the mass murder of African Americans at Harvard? Is that protected free speech? Our commitment to free speech It's a yes or no question. Throughout the nearly six-hour hearing, Stefanik would continue to grill Gay in a way that tests the limits of her patience. The hearing stretches from the morning deep into the afternoon. And Dr. Gay, at Harvard, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Harvard's rules of bullying and harassment, yes or no? It can be, depending on the context. What's the context? Targeted as an individual, targeted as, at an individual. It's targeted at Jewish students, Jewish individuals. 
Do you understand your testimony is dehumanizing them? Do you understand that dehumanization is part of anti-Semitism? Gay would tell the Crimson a couple days after the hearing that she got, quote, caught up in it, in the combative exchanges. And when she did, it made things worse, much worse. So the answer is yes, that calling for the genocide of Jews violates Harvard Code of Conduct, correct? Again, it depends on the context. It does not depend on the context. The answer is yes, and this is why you should resign. These are unacceptable answers across the board. Backlash over Gay's testimony was picked up by national media outlets and splashed across headlines and pages across the country. As calls for her resignation grew in number, it looked like Gay's position at the helm of Harvard was increasingly tenuous over the weekend. But then, at 4 a.m. on Tuesday morning, we learned that Gay would keep her job. So we sat down with the reporters who got the scoop, Claire Yuen and Miles J. Hersenhorn, to talk about it. Miles and Claire, we're talking to you at 4.48 a.m. morning of news breaking. Tell us what the news is. So the news is that we learned that Harvard President Claudine Gay will remain in office as the university's president with the support of the Harvard Corporation after they met for two days on Sunday and Monday to discuss the future of Gay's fate at the helm of the university. Tell us a little bit about the week of backlash that has preceded this decision to support Gay in her presidency. It's been a bad week for Claudine Gay. That's the long and short of it. Gay traveled to D.C. because she wanted to quell the controversy, explain the steps that Harvard has taken to combat anti-Semitism, and demonstrate the effort the university has made to protect those Jewish students. But by Tuesday evening, it was very clear that her testimony did the exact opposite. Hours after she left the witness stand, Harvard Hillel's leadership said that the testimony called into question her ability to protect Jewish students at the school, and she was being flamed online for her answers to that line of questioning from Elise Stefanik. On Wednesday, she was forced to issue a clarification about whether or not calls for the genocide of Jews on Harvard's campus are a violation of the university's policies on bullying and harassment. On Thursday, in an interview with us, she had to apologize for those remarks. And then the House Committee on Education and the Workforce launched an official congressional investigation into Harvard over anti-Semitism on its campus. And then hours later on Thursday, a member of her advisory board on anti-Semitism, Rabbi David Wolpe, resigned. And it really only got worse. On Friday, more than 70 members of Congress, most of them Republicans, are calling on Gay to resign. So it's not been a good week if you're President Gay. Over the weekend, we saw a change in time. The outpouring of support started Saturday evening when several professors took to X to write threads and, and various posts in support of President Gay. It continued into Sunday and Monday with the Harvard Alumni Association, as well as various other alumni and faculty, more than 700 faculty signing onto a letter, all in support of President Gay, urging the governing boards not to ask her to step down. And caught in the middle of all of this was Gay herself. Last Thursday, two days following the testimony and well into the backlash, Claire and Miles, both of you interviewed Gay about both her experiences and takeaways from the testimony and her personal thoughts on the matter. Curious if you could tell us a little bit about what we should be walking away from the hearing with and how Gay feels about the matter right now. 
So one major takeaway from the testimony is that in addition to being put in kind of a tough position at the end, President Gay also pushed back against many of the comments that representatives made. In particular, a couple representatives spoke about the Foundation for Individual Rights and Expressions rankings of free speech on college campuses, which had Harvard in last place. And multiple times, Gay rejected the characterization. Wrapped up into that was Gay saying, again, this time in front of Congress, that the university will not punish students for their views. This is something that she has publicly stated before when the university was facing calls to publicly name and punish students involved in student organizations who signed on to that initial first controversial statement from the Palestinian Solidarity Committee. Two other major takeaways were also that there are going to be more efforts on Harvard's campus to combat hate. There are new initiatives coming that Gay alluded to during the testimony. One final takeaway from the hearing, really just why committee Republicans decided to call it in the first place. There has been a rise in both anti-Semitism and Islamophobia on college and university campuses across the country. And the leaders of elite institutions like Harvard, MIT, and the University of Pennsylvania have come under fire for their response to the climate on their respective campuses. But some Democrats on the committee criticized Republicans for holding the hearing in the first place, noting that the three university presidents who testified are not experts on anti-Semitism. For example, Representative Mark DeCano, a Harvard College graduate himself, told me on Tuesday that if committee Republicans were really interested in learning about anti-Semitism on college campuses and tackling it, perhaps they would have called a hearing with experts on anti-Semitism itself. And he noted that the only witness at that hearing who was an expert on anti-Semitism was the minority witness, a professor from American University who indeed studied anti-Semitism. So there were some critiques of Republicans for how they led the hearing. DeCano, for example, suggested that this was just an opportunity for Stefanik to get her made-for-TV moments and press the leaders of elite institutions on the environment in their campuses, thus scoring political points with their base. In her interview with both of you, President Gay also expressed some measure of regret or reflection on her words during the testimony. Tell us a little bit about where she's at right now. Yeah, so our interview with President Gay was two days after her testimony before Congress. So President Gay had plenty of time to really hear the barrage of complaints coming in from students on campus, people on Twitter, representatives, various other Harvard affiliates. A very overall sense of discontent with the way that the testimony had gone. And in our interview, she did express regrets and she said she was sorry for the impact that her words had, citing that in a time when there is already so much fear and hurt on campus, the fact that her words would have amplified that, she said it made her feel sad. It's remarkable that the university president would directly say that she was sorry for something she had said. Tell us the significance of Harvard's governing board's decision to express their support for gay now, following the week of backlash and outpouring support. I think, one, it's important to note 
just how long it took for the corporation to release this statement of support. Claudine Gay appeared at the congressional hearing alongside Emma Heath's president and the University of Pennsylvania's president. UPenn president Liz McGill was forced to resign after her testimony. On the other hand, Executive Committee of the MIT Corporation released a statement Thursday evening expressing their full support for MIT's president, Sally Cornbluth. As all this was happening, we heard absolutely nothing from Harvard's governing boards. So even as this statement of support comes, it is notable that it took them several days to get to this point. But the second part to that is Gay was seemingly on the brink of losing her job as president of Harvard less than one semester into her tenure. This obviously gives her some assurance that she is safe in her job for the time being. So while she was in peril for a while, it seems that now she can head into winter break knowing that she has some job security, at the very least for the time being. The question that many are asking now is how much confidence in gay has been shaken and where do we move next? What does this letter of support and this entire saga of backlash mean for Gay's tenure as university president? It's extraordinary, Frank. How many times do you see a university governing board feeling the need to come out and express their support for a president who has been in office for less than one semester? That just never happens. So the fact that this had to occur just five months into President Gay's time in office really shows just what a tough few months it has been as she's assumed the role. And it'll definitely leave a mark on her presidency for years to come. People don't forget that your tenure was challenged this early on. The resignation of Rabbi Wolpe is something to pay very close attention to. Everyone expected the congressional hearing to be tough. It is not surprising that she had to then apologize for those remarks delivered during her testimony on Tuesday. But the fact that a member of the anti-Semitism advisory board that Gay established just over a month ago resigned shows that this controversy has begun to penetrate Gay's inner circle. And that could be really dangerous for her. She was a president who was hired in part to lead Harvard through a crisis. She officially assumed the presidency two days after the Supreme Court ruling against Harvard that effectively ended the use of affirmative action in higher education missions. She was hired to lead a crisis, just not this one. And the fact that it's gotten this bad, that has now lasted for more than two months, is becoming increasingly clear that the controversy over Harvard's response to the fighting in Israel and Hamas and its efforts to combat both anti-Semitism and Islamophobia on its campus will be things that shape Gay's legacy, not just for the rest of this year, but for several years into her presidency, however long that presidency lasts. Thank you so much, Claire and Miles, for joining us to talk through this breaking news. And thank you for the scoop. Thank you for having us, Frank. Thank you, as always. In the months following Hamas's October 7th attack on Israel, the Harvard Undergraduate Palestine Solidarity Committee was one of the main drivers of pro-Palestine student protests on campus. But the group has taken a backseat in recent weeks. Today, our reporters join us to discuss who's now the new face of protests on campus and just what that means for the future of campus activism. My name is Chase Hellers-Hill, and I'm a college administration reporter for the Harvard Crimson. 
My name is Cam E. Kettles, and I cover labor for the Harvey Crimson. Thank you so much, Sellers and Kim. So just to set the stage for us, could you tell us a little bit more about the Palestine Solidarity Committee? Who are they, and why does their status as a recognized student group play into this entire debate? So the under, Harvard Undergraduate Palestine Solidarity Committee has I mean, existed for many years. The Palestine Solidarity Committee holds the Israel Apartheid Week every year, and that is a major event that they regularly put on that requires administration to sort of approve their use of space for an art exhibit for demonstrations. They are sort of the primary undergraduate pro-Palestine group on campus. In terms of the most recent events, the PSC is the group that wrote the initial statement that held Israel entirely responsible for Hamas's attack. While that statement was signed by a lot of other groups, the PSC sort of faced a lot of the public backlash that sort of fell upon Harvard nationally after that. So the fact that that group that was the center of not just sort of Harvard controversy, but national controversy for about a month is sort of no longer protesting is is very notable. One thing to note is that the PSC hasn't just completely vanished from the campus activism scene. Um, they're still holding installations, um, phone banking sessions, other educational sessions. They've just taken a step back from protesting specifically, which is notable given that they were spearheading protests as recently as convocation, uh, which they uh, held up signs during and uh, chanted between speakers uh, in September. So we see this shift then where the Palestine Solidarity Committee no longer being the face of protests on campus. Tell us about the groups who are now the face of protests on campus and whether or not they're recognized. So the two groups that are now at the forefront of campus protests come from very different organizational spaces. The first is the African and African-American Resistance Organization. It's an undergraduate, non-recognized student group that was formed early this semester. And the members of that group are some of the only that are willing to speak with their names attached at protest, which is which is unique among these groups. The other group is called Harvard BDS, although I should note they go by a lot of different sort of variations of that name. It is the Harvard Graduate Student Union's sort of rank and file coalition of pro-Palestine activists, people that care about that issue in particular. The union as a whole endorsed the BDS movement first in 2021 when Harvard BDS, sort of the original version of Harvard BDS was formed. But this group is sort of the graduate wing of the new protest. What's sort of notable about where they stand in terms of recognition is that they're officially not a recognized student group, but they are all union members which gives them protection that Afro, at least, doesn't have in full. Those protections just include that their political speech, especially as it relates to their workplace, um, is considered protected concerted activity and is protected by the National Labor Relations Board. That is a gray area right now in terms of where their speech falls along that line, but it is clear that they have special status because they are union members. Sellers, Kim has mentioned that Harvard BDS isn't an officially recognized student group, neither is Harvard Afro. Tell us a little bit about the significance of being a recognized student group and what difference that makes in this particular activism context. So, of course, to be a student group on campus, it's a little bit more complicated than just getting together and declaring that you're a student group if you want any sort of support from the college. So, Recognized student groups have to go through an application process um, that is then approved by the dean of students office uh, at Harvard College. 
And once that approval process is over, they can then access resources such as space reservations, marketing materials, um, and actually funding. So we know uh, that during the 2022-23 academic year, the Undergraduate Palestine Solidarity Committee actually received $1,400 from the Harvard Undergraduate Association, which is the group that disperses club funding for the Dean of Students Office. Without that recognition, Groups have a hard time officially reserving space or booking events with recognition from the college. For example, a protest. Technically, without recognition, you cannot request approval for a protest on campus, and therefore you would not be allowed to hold that protest. That is a little bit unintuitive because if you are a recognized group and you don't get your protest approved and you still hold it, you risk your recognition status. But if you're an unrecognized group, Really, the, the only avenue to punishment is the college's disciplinary process through their administrative board. So if going through the college's disciplinary processes is the sole recourse, has that happened yet for any protesters and protests on campus? At the moment, we only know of one instance, which is disciplinary hearings for the students that participated in the university hall occupation. When students primarily affiliated with Jews for Palestine occupied university hall for 24 hours, that, at the moment, remains the only case we know of where students have been adboarded, which is going through the college's disciplinary process, based on protests. But according to the college's official rules, unrecognized groups are not allowed to hold protests. The issue of student discipline and disciplinary responses to, in, as, as punishment for protests that have happened on campus, recognized or unrecognized, came up when Harvard President Claudine Gay testified before the House Committee on Education and the Workforce earlier last week. Tell us about what role discipline played within the testimony and what came out of Gay's testimony last Tuesday. The moment that's really caught the attention of the nation is this moment where Representative Elise Stefanik asked Claudine Gay about an incident on campus where students had interrupted classes and also held a demonstration that involved the chant, Globalize the Intifada, which references Palestinian uprisings in the West Bank and Gaza against Israel. The line of questioning specifically was whether those demonstrations violated Harvard's code of conduct. And infamously now, Claudine Gay wavered. Gay called the chants thoughtless, reckless, and hateful, but clarified that action would only be taken when speech crosses into conduct that violates policies, including policies against bullying, harassment, or intimidation. Some groups, including Harvard Hallel, the university's Jewish center, have claimed that these demonstrations do violate those policies. A November 30th email by Hillel claimed that interrupting class sessions amounted to a violation through the university's policies, although the free speech guidelines that were referenced are a little bit ambiguous. They do not protect speech that creates a quote-unquote disruption, which must extend over an quote unreasonable amount of time. In essence, it really is up to the university on how they want to interpret those guidelines and apply them in a disciplinary context. So knowing what we know, the fact that unrecognized student groups are technically not allowed to hold protests on campus, that students who participated within the 24-hour occupation of University Hall are now undergoing or facing um, the college's disciplinary process, and that President Gay has sort of drawn that line in the sand during her congressional testimony, where do we go from here? What can we expect to see out of the future of campus activism as we head into the coming days and weeks? It appears right now that the protesters are not, have not yet sort of reached the limit of 
pushing the university's boundaries on this. And I mean, it, what it appears is that there will be some sort of inflection point between what the university, how the university is willing to respond and how far protesters are willing to push back. That sort of is yet to be to be seen at the moment. The protesters organizing these demonstrations have signaled that they have no plans to stop and actually wish to continue pushing the line of the university's policies. I think we're kind of destined to see a face-off between what the university will allow under free speech guidelines and what they find necessary to take disciplinary action for. Thank you so much, Kevin Sellers, for joining us to talk through the student groups who are the face of protests at Harvard now on Israel and Palestine and what we can expect to see next. Thanks, Frank. Thank you, Frank. News Talk is hosted by Frank S. Joe. This episode of News Talk was produced by Frank S. Joe, Gina H. Cho, and Emma A. Lucas. House committee footage in this episode comes from cspan.org. Music in this episode by Bia Walfang. Our multimedia chairs are Joey Huang and Julian J. Giordano. Our managing editor is Brandon L. Kingdollar. Our president is Kara J. Chong. Special thanks to the 150th Guard for shepherding News Talk through its inaugural year. Y'all are some of the most special people in the world. From the Harvard Crimson, this is News Talk.